hey, we're in the house together with one service. Praise the Lord. We recognize you got to get here early if you want to have one of the hot seats, right? There are no assigned seats here, and there are no safe seats. You can't, like, go dibs on my seat. You get up to go get a cup of coffee, you're going to come back, and someone's going to be sitting in your hot seat there. So we do have an overflow room, and it's a great space right next door, too. So if you get here and there's not a comfortable space, we do have the overflow room there. It'll get a little more noisy in there. They get a little more Pentecostal in that room. And uh, anyway, praise the Lord. Well, it's Father's Day. Hallelujah. And we sang this morning, Dennis, you even, you even said some words from the microphone. You said, uh, we want to build our lives. We want to build our lives. The theme today is home improvement. Can I get a, uh? <laughs> something like that? It might be somewhere here. <laughs> Tim, Tim, Tim Allen may be in the house this morning at, at some point in time. Uh, you know, it. It is an interesting thing. We sang, I will build my life upon your love. It is a sure or firm foundation. Paul the Apostle uses this metaphor. He uses this understanding of a master builder. He says, I as a master builder have laid a foundation. And that foundation is Jesus Christ. Jesus himself declared that he is and God is love. That foundation of Jesus is a foundation of love. And we want to build our houses on that foundation. And so today, home improvement is the theme. It's not just a Father's Day message, but it is for all fathers. But it is for everyone who is here because we want to build well on that foundation firm foundation. Can I get an amen? Amen. Okay. Praise the Lord. Um, I have the uh, distinct honor of wearing the name badge. My name is Dave, but I'm most often called Pops or Padre or Dad. All three of my kids have a different name for me. Matthew calls me Pops. Jonathan, my number two, calls me Padre, and my daughter affectionately calls me Dad. Daddy sometimes, and sometimes Pops now also. Uh, but all that to say, what an honor to be a dad, and so I'm so thankful for my family and my children, and what a blessing they are to me. So in 1 Corinthians, well, let me say it this way. We will be in Acts chapter 26 for a couple of verses, and I'll have those on the, on the board in just a moment. But I want to preface this with that scripture about Paul describing the master builder. It says, according to the grace, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me a wise master builder... He says, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. So he says, I've laid a foundation, but another is building on it. He says, let each one, that's you and me, let each one take heed how he builds on it. Okay? So I want to approach today's message with the idea that each one of us needs to be taking heed to how we are building. If you were building a project at your home, uh, you, you would probably go out and buy the best materials if money was not an option. I remember when my, I don't remember this, I was four years old, but I remember my dad telling me the story when we moved from New Jersey to Southern California my, my dad had a house being built in Huntington Beach. And every single day, he was an engineer, a mechanical engineer, and every single day he would stop by the project, he told me, and he would inspect the two-by-fours. Every two-by-four that was in a wall, he would inspect, and if it had too many knots in it, he would mark it and say, remove that two-by-four and put a two-by-four in it with less knots. That's back when you could do that because there was old growth timber that was coming down from the hills. But anyway, all that to say, I thought, man, he, he actually exemplified what it means to take heed to how you build. That's important, right? Okay, so let's turn in our Bibles because we are walking through the book of Acts. We are in a new series 
We've finished the series, This is the Way, and today embarks a new series called Sanctified. Uh-huh. There you go. Sanctified, and today's theme is home improvement. We have been sanctified. We are set apart, and in that process of sanctification, that is that transition, I was once this way, Christ came into my life, and I am becoming more like Jesus Day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, that transition from who I once was to who Christ wants me to become more like him. And I'll explain some of the reasons why in just a moment. But Acts chapter 26, I want to read a handful of verses, verse 12 through verse 20, because there is description in there. And this is Paul giving his testimony before King Agrippa. So here he is. I mean, he's getting ready to go to Rome. And there in Caesarea, he is giving another account of his Damascus Road experience when he sees Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, alive, risen on the road to Damascus. And this is what he says. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, at midday, King Agrippa, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I love that. Here's Paul mounted on his pony, mounted on his horse. You know, he's pomp and circumstance. He's got letters. He's got authority. He's going with, you know, he's like, there's a new sheriff in town. And he's packing iron. (laughs) He's like Terminator coming through the town, right? He's riding his hog. And here he goes, boom, boom, boom. And then, bam, he has an encounter with Jesus. And man, it dropped him silly off the rear end of that horse. I can just imagine the horse rearing up and him going, boop, landed on his keister, right? He landed on his hindsight. Okay, and so when he had fallen to the ground, they all had fallen to the ground, he said, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you? Lord, who are you? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Arise, stand to your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. Now, underline in your Bibles, please, because this purpose is your purpose and my purpose also. It's not the sermon today, but it is definitively your purpose and my purpose. Listen, to make you a minister, to make you an ambassador, you are going to represent me. I am the king, and you are my ambassador, and you are going to represent me in this world. You'll represent my kingdom, which is from another world. For this purpose, to make you a minister, an ambassador, a witness. Listen, the, word, the Greek word for witness is martyr. It presupposes that you and I are going to die to self. Not my kingdom anymore. His kingdom. That is profoundly important. Profoundly. Take heed how you build. A martyr. Okay? Dead people don't build houses for themselves. Right? Think about that for a moment, okay? He says, a witness both of, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. Listen, that's our process of sanctification. What I've seen so far and what God's going to reveal to me day by day, day by day. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, and then he goes on, he says, Jesus says, I will deliver you from the Jews, Jewish people, as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. To, here's the reason, to open their eyes. Anybody here a candidate to have your eyes opened a little wider? Right. I want a little more revelation from God about me and how I am and how I maybe ought not be. Okay. To open my eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. Anybody hate the darkness in your life right now? I'm like... 
Man, I, I identify with the Apostle Paul when he said in, in his letter to the Romans, he said, look, the very thing I want to do, I don't do, and the very thing that I don't want to do, that I do. What's wrong with me? Darkness, right? There's darkness in our lives, and I don't want that darkness. To turn from darkness to light, listen, key phrase, and from the power of Satan to God. Okay? That's a significant thing. From the power of Satan to the power of God. Okay? That they may receive forgiveness of sins and the inheritance among those who are being sanctified by faith in me. Boy, are you thankful for the forgiveness of Jesus? Let me, let me say this real quickly because I'm going to talk about some things that are difficult to understand today. Let me say this to every single one of us. God loves you. And he loves you unconditionally. And you don't have to perform to receive that love. It's not performance-based. Look at me, God. Woo, do you like my dance? You don't have to do that. That was my dance, by the way. <laughs> that was pretty weak, I know. But anyway, we don't have to perform to get God's attention. We don't have to perform to get God's affection. We don't have to perform to get anything from God. It's already 100% ours. He gave himself, right? We need to realize that because it could become egocentric in our thoughts of who God is when he says, He's displeased with the way some of his kids are living. Like, oh, well, you mean like I have to perform for him? No. We as his kids, when we're misbehaving in how we live, he knows. He's like, you're not living the way I want you to live. And he's saying that because he can't bless us when we live like that. And he wants to give himself away. But he can't. Because of how we live. Does that make sense? So it's not like this performance-based thing. No, it has to do with God's blessing and what he wants to pour into us that we prevent. The prophet Isaiah says, your sin, my sin, separates me from God. It creates a barrier for the blessing. And God wants us to have the maximum blessing. Can I get an amen? Every good and perfect gift flows from the Father of lights. God wants to bless you and me radically. He gave himself. He says, every spiritual blessing. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. But our ability to receive those is directly proportional to how we are actually living. Does that make sense? All the promises of God are in him, yes, and in him, amen. Hey, God has just, he's done it all, and he wants to bless, but sometimes we just keep being knuckleheaded. Can I get an amen from some fellow knuckleheads? Okay, good. We're on the same page. Let's keep going. He says, therefore, King Agrippa, verse 19, I was not disobedient. There's a sermon in there. There's a few sermons in there. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He said, I declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea. There's a sermon in there too. Listen, we're going to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are closest to us. Can I get an amen? If you have family members that don't know Jesus, you keep telling them about Jesus, you keep living for Jesus in front of them, and you keep praying for them to come to Jesus. Can I get an amen? Okay, so we're going to reach people around us. There's a sermon there, I'm sure. Not today. Okay. And then to the Gentiles, so we've got to go beyond our family and to the world that we live in, that, listen, they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting of repentance, okay? So that's some behavioral changes that you and I should have working in our lives, right? When I lived over here without Jesus, I lived very unholy. When I came to Jesus, I still lived unholy, but I was forgiven, but as I've grown and fallen deeper in love with God, even though I still have unholy parts of my life and unholy actions that I have, I'm in a better place to receive more blessing because I've repented of some of those things. Does that make sense? Okay, that's important, okay? All right, so that's kind of our, that's kind of our base text there. There are going to be acts of repentance, turning to God, and those things that are befitting of repentance. And so that's where we are. How's our time? Oh, good. I, we, we get out at what, 1230? 
All right. <laughs> yes, I will have a children's team that has a noose for me if that happens. <laughs> okay, so let's, let's, today very specifically in our home improvement thinking, I'm thinking about tools. I'm a tool guy. I absolutely love tools, and I love tools that do special things. If you, uh, came, <laughs> if you came to my house, you and you opened up my little closet where my tools are, Gil, you're, I mean, you're like the same kind of guy, right? You got, there's a tool for everything. Jared, if you ever need anything, just come across the street. I'm sure I have it. I don't even charge rent. Anyway, I've souped up some of those tools, too, like uh, Tim Allen does. Anyway, uh, I just love tools. And God has given us tools. Thanks be to God. He hasn't le left us here as orphans. Listen, there are, some, there are some blessings that he has given to us that I'm actually not going to talk about that there's sermon series in every single one of them. First of all, can you get an amen? He has given us his spirit. Amen. The spirit of God lives in you if your faith is in Christ Jesus today. Hallelujah. He's given us his word it's the instruction manual. How many of you have opened up a tool, all you men, all you dads? You open up a tool and you're like, I don't know what this little booklet is. Boop, throw it over there. And then you're like, it's not working. Oh, I got to plug it in? <laughs> Duh. Anyway, there's an instruction manual for living and he's given it to us. Right? Every single thing you and I can be touched with in this life is addressed in this instruction manual. Sometimes it takes a little bit of wisdom to try and draw it out because we might have to find the attitudes. We might have to find the dispositions. But it's there. And if we'll just take time, God will reveal these things to us. So he's given us his spirit. He's given us his word. He's given us spiritual armor. Right? <clears throat> Breastplate of righteousness. Woo. Belt of truth. Yeah. Feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. I'm ready to go. My loins are girded, baby. I'm ready. I got the helmet of salvation. I got the shield of faith. I got the sword of the spirit. And I have prayer, intercessory, praying in the spirit on all occasions. He's given us armor. Hallelujah. Ready for the battle. What else? Power of his might, every spiritual blessing, all the promises. And if we took time with a whiteboard, we could fill in the whiteboard with all the blessings. What I want to talk about today are some specific tools, okay? Three specific tools that we're going to be looking at. And there's a reason. Turn in your Bibles or on the wall with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is a significant portion of Scripture where the Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, and he had some significant things to say. He says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea. So he's talking about the Old Testament. He said, listen, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning. Okay? The root word for ignorant is what? Ignore. Don't ignore this. When the Spirit of God says, don't ignore this, what do you think the Spirit of God means? Don't ignore this. <laughs> Pretty sure that's what he means. This is important. This is important. Five times, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul was inspired to write those words. Brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant concerning. I will tell you, in those five areas that that was spoken are the five biggest areas of confusion in the church today. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. I do not want you to be unaware or ignorant that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. Stop there for a moment. We are all eating the same spiritual food. Right? We have the Word of God. Spiritual food. And drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. It's the washing of the water of the Word of God. The washing of the water of the Word of God. Spiritual drink. But, listen, verse 5. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. Wait. Er, put the brakes on. God's not pleased. But it's not performance-based. So what does he mean? Again, positionally, God wants us to be in a place where we can receive the most blessing from God. But when we don't live well, we position ourselves, and there's a barrier that prevents God's blessing. And so it's not well-pleasing to him. 
Because as his children, listen, dads, we do things to protect our children, right? We definitely do things to protect our children. And when our children violate those rules, we're like not well pleased with our kids. Our kids reach out as children for the outlet on the wall. We don't go, here, son, here's a screwdriver. Have fun. <laughs> no. We're like, no. And when they keep going for it, you know, we got to put in like a little capital punishment there. I'm not going to get in trouble with anyone, am I? <laughs> Matthew, you survived, didn't you? <laughs> Jonathan, wherever you are, I think he survived. Olivia? No, she says, I didn't survive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we do things to protect them, and then when they still reach for it, we have to step in and discipline. Right? That's what God does, right? That's what God does. Okay. For their bodies were scattered into the wilderness. It goes on to say in verse 5. Verse 6 says, now these things became examples. Okay? They became examples, right? Things we can learn from. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Now, think about this for a moment. Lust is a, um, it, it, it's a word with no particular negative or positive attached to it, right? Uh, the spirit lusts for the things of the spirit, that's positive. So the word lust there becomes positive. The flesh lusts after the flesh. Now it has negative, right? So lust in and of itself is not negative or positive, but in this context, it's negative because they lusted for things that were not of God and thus positioned themselves to have a barrier to receive the blessings from God. So, they lusted, and he says, we should learn from their example and not have ill-directed lust, okay? So, he goes on, and he says, and uh, do not become idolaters, underline that word idolaters in your Bible, as were some of them. As, is, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happen, listen to verse 11, now all these things happen to them as examples, and they were written down for our admonition, for our teaching, for our learning, so that we don't do the same things. Right? Those who don't read history do what? Repeat it. Right? Here's a little history. We need not repeat it. Okay? Uh, that's the wisdom. All right. And he says, upon whom the end of the ages have come. We're living in the end times. These things were written for our admonition. He says, verse 12, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Listen, you may be doing well. Careful of your own evaluation of yourself. I'm doing great. Hallelujah. <laughs> Pride comes before the fall, right? And a haughty spirit. So we got to be really, really careful about our own self-evaluation. Then he says this. I love this. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Thanks be to God. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Okay? So no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. If you are facing temptation in your life in any area, everybody else in this room has also faced that temptation or is currently facing those same temptations. Okay? We're going to look at categorically what those arenas of temptation are because I think the scripture is very specific and that there are three arenas of temptation. And all temptation falls under one of those, or it falls in one of those arenas, okay? So, thinking about that, he says in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. There's that word again, underlined idolatry. Because when we think of idolatry, 
it's not like in our common vernacular of today. We don't, we don't tell people, oh, I see you're struggling with some idolatry in your life. You've probably never said that to anybody. And if you have, it might be because you've been walking in the kingdom of God for a little while. Because that's a, that's a biblical term. Right? Okay, so it's profound to me that time and time and time again, Scripture gives us examples of what to do and what not to do. Israel's history, these things happened. They were written down for our instruction. I think that's important. He says flee idolatry. I think that we should be, pay attention to that. Noteworthy. When Israel moved from a theocracy, God is our leader, to a monarchy, they wanted to be like all the other nations and have a king. I mean, think about that for a moment. God was their king. They were governed by God. In fact, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Israel means governed by God. They're like, yeah, no, I mean, you're good, but we want to be like the other nations. Isn't that kind of our problem? We want to be like other people? Well, how come I can't have the freedom they do? Why are the unrighteous blessed more than the righteous? Right? Think about the systems that we use to evaluate things, right? Is it a system of this world or is it a system of the kingdom of God, right? I think our evaluations oftentimes are wrong because we're in the wrong kingdom when we're thinking that way, right? Okay, so go a little further. Israel gets the monarchy. Ooh, Saul. <laughs> Israel's history is so funny to me. We don't have time this morning to go there, so I probably shouldn't go there. But anyway, uh, they, had a season, they had a season where they had no kings. I mean, even God wasn't their king. It was a period of no kings. It's called the Judges. Uh, and in the, in the time of the Judges, every man did what was right in his own eyes. And so God sent Judges to kind of help redirect the people and get them back on track. And then they came into a period of man's king, 1 Samuel. So you go from judges to 1 Samuel, man's king. Who was man's king? Give us a king! Incidentally, man was not ever designed by God to self-govern. That's important. Because right? if you're wanting to be in control of your own life, you're inordinate. I'm in charge. God says... Keep thinking that. <laughs> and I can't bless you. Right. Man's king was Saul. First Samuel. You read the story of First Samuel. He had one assignment. It's not in the sermon. He had one assignment. Utterly destroy the Amalekites. A very, very wicked people. The Amalekites in Scripture are a type of the flesh. God said, destroy the flesh. And he didn't. He didn't obey. In fact, he brought King Agag back with him. And Samuel met him and said, when he meets him, Saul's like, hey, I did everything the Lord told me to do. Hallelujah. And he says, well, not only did you bring Agag back, but I hear some cattle lowing and I hear some sheep Bleeding. Right? He's like, you're disobedient. And he says, well, the people saw that the cattle was good, and we brought them to offer them to your God. <laughs> He's like, nice try and spiritualizing your disobedience. Here's the deal. The end of Saul's life, you know how he died? An Amalekite killed him. Here's the story. If you don't bring your flesh into subjection, your flesh is going to bring death and destruction in your life. That's a real deal. I mean, there's a, a series of sermons in that. Page 2 of 12. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. <laughs> it's 13. <laughs> of the 40 kings... Of the 40. Now, there were actually 42 if you include Saul and David. But Solomon, Saul, Saul David, and Saul, there was 39 kings, and then you have the three. So uh, Saul, Solomon, Saul, David, Solomon. Uh, by the way, no king, judges. First Samuel, man's king. Second Samuel, 
God's king. King David, a man after God's own heart. And we know stories of how David blew it, right? But look, David blew it, but what did he do? He confessed his sin. Right? There's wisdom in that. And there's a tool that we'll talk about in just a moment. God's king. After David was Solomon, and Solomon started off fairly good, and he finished poorly, and then he had a son named Rehoboam, and Rehoboam was a knucklebrain. I mean, he was just a knucklebrain. And it was under Rehoboam that the kingdom split into two. And you had Israel in the north that were ten tribes, and you have Judah in the south that were two tribes. There were 19 kings in Israel. None of them were good. None. Everyone say that with me. None. Uh, I mean, none were good. Uh, no home improvement. In Judah, there were 20 kings. Only eight of them, how do you do that? Like, I guess like that. <laughs> Only eight were good. The scripture says eight, of the eight, they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Of two of them actually started off good and then finished bad. But still God's epitaph of them, they did good in the sight of the Lord. But the majority of them did not tear down the high places. Now listen, 2 Kings chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I'm in Kings in my own personal study right now, and I have a Bible study on Wednesday morning, and we navigate through Kings very, very slowly. But we're looking for human elements. Here's some human elements. Listen to this. In the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash became king and reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. So Jehoash, also known as Joash, rules for 40 years in Judah. And it was during the reign of Jehu in the north that Joash became the king. It's a phenomenal story how he even became the king. We don't have time to go there this morning. Listen, his mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba. Jehoash, or Joash, did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Listen, all the days in which Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. When Jehoiada was removed, he started living bad. There's wisdom in having a spiritual mentor in your life. If you don't have a spiritual advisor, a spiritual mentor in your life, you're in a danger of doing what is not right in the eyes of the Lord. Listen, listen to me. Whoa. And they did what was wrong. Uh? <laughs> they did what was wrong in the eyes of the pastor. <laughs> I don't know what that was, probably my coffee. Anyway. <clears throat> Let me say this. Even though I am a pastor, I am more than likely not your spiritual mentor. I do spiritual mentoring on a macro scale, but on a micro scale, every one of us should be being mentored by someone, so we're reaching up, and we should be mentoring someone. That's how the kingdom of God works. And each of your capacity, I mean, let's put it this way, Jesus invested into 12 guys, and 12 guys changed the world. It says something about capacity. You may be a one-person mentor. You may be a three-person mentor. I mean, if you're doing five, you're doing good, okay? Seven, 10, 12, something like that. But we need to be in that zone, okay? So he did what was right on all the days in which Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. But, here's the caveat, but the high places were not taken away. Uh? The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Again, God's not up here arrogantly saying, you should be worshiping me only. I am God. If you don't, I will snuff you out. And he's not angry at you. I'm going to squish you, bug. 
I mean, I'd have been squished. I wouldn't even have you guys as neighbors. I mean, I would be, I would be bug juice on a windshield. It's, God's not that way. Again, it has to do with he wants to bless us, and so he's, it's not, it's, how you're living is not pleasing, and what you're doing is wrong. And there's a why behind the what, because God knows that what's behind the idolatry, are you ready for this? Demons. Fallen spiritual beings that are eternal and have power. And that's what's behind idolatry. You say, well, idolatry, again, that's the Old Testament stuff. That's the Bible stuff. The demons are still there. And there's still idolatry today. It's just in a different form. We're going to look at that in just a moment. So what were the high places? High places, not necessarily positionally high, there were high places in the valleys also. They were places where the people went and burned incense to foreign gods. In the book of Joshua, Joshua was told to eradicate all of the Canaanites in the land of Israel. Get them out. Otherwise, they will influence you into idol worship. Listen, same thing goes with you and me. We got to get rid of all of the things that influence us negatively away from the kingdom of God. Right? That's important. Because every one of us has influences. The messages that are happening in our society, in our community, they're all preaching a gospel. It just isn't the gospel. Right? I mean, what do you think? I'm going to step on some toes, even my own. Right? You think Seinfeld is preaching the gospel? They got a different gospel. You think Friends is preaching the gospel? You think The Office? Come on, I'm stepping on toes. My own included. I mean, I like, I, I think it's funny. The only reason I think it's funny is because I'm in the wrong kingdom when I'm thinking that way. You with me? Each one should take heed in how he's building. Home improvement time. Works befitting of repentance. Ouch. That's good preaching, Pastor. <laughs> okay, are you ready for this? They worshiped Baal, properly enunciated Baal, Molech. And Asherah, foreign gods. Baal was the god of supreme power in the Canaanite world, the Phoenician Syrian world. The god of extreme power, all knowing and wise. Molech is also a Phoenician god, but is the god of prosperity. The Israelites. They would offer their children as sacrifice. The firstborn child they would offer as a sacrifice. Molech was an iron image with his arms open like this, and his belly was open, and they would fill his belly with wood, coal, and fire, light his belly on fire, arms would be glowing, and the parents would come and set their first children, firstborn child, on the arms, causing their children to pass through the flames. <sighs> Awful. They believed... By so doing, they would receive financial blessing all the days of their life. Folks, it's modern-day abortion. Molech has just taken a different form. People are offering their firstborn and their secondborn so they can position themselves it's an inconvenience. Asherah, the goddess of fertility, the Canaanite goddess of fertility. Astarte and Ishtar, 
are also her names. We get the name Easter from Ishtar. The egg is the symbol of fertility. It's pagan in its origin. I know some of you are like, whoa, <laughs> you're messing with my Easter egg hunt on Easter. Uh, we hide little eggs in our house, too. has completely different significance. We talk about the resurrection. We talk about the three parts in one. So it has different connotations today, but I want you to know where the origins, they're pagan, okay? And I know this is going to be a long sermon today, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be sensitive because it's Father's Day. Um, porneo, which is where we get our word pornography, is a Greek word, and its translation is sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. So Baal is the god of control, right? supreme, I'm on the throne. Molech is the god of prosperity, so you have power, prosperity, and Asherah, or Ashtarte, or Ashtaroth, Ishtar, goddess of fertility, Porneo. Three areas, three arenas. How are these arenas defined in the Word of God? John, in his letter, his small letter to, uh, in 1 John, to a lovely lady, he wrote, I believe it was probably Mary, the mother of Jesus, but he wrote these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, do not love the world or the things of this world. Now here's the kingdoms. There's a kingdom down here in this world, and we live in it. We have bodies that were designed for this world. But there's a kingdom above that, which is the kingdom of God. And he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of this world. The world is passing away, and the lusts of it. He who builds, does the will of the does the will of God abides forever. The gods of the Bible, Old Testament gods that we're talking about, they're actual beings today that are still receiving worship by people today. And let's not forget that. Children of Israel, just like the kings, only 80% of them actually did what was right in the eyes of God. Many of the children of Israel never did what was well pleasing to God. And guess what's happening in the church today? The same thing. Because we, as the children of God, we are the children of Yahweh, the King, the King of Kings. And yet, we, like the ourselves to is what we worship, and it's painful, because it means repentance in our lives, and we've got to change, and it's Home Improvement Sunday, Father's Day. <laughs> Yay, I went to church this morning, and the pastor hit me with like about 30 jabs, and then he just came in with a drop shot, and boom. Uh -huh. place misguided deceived in places they never should be and oftentimes it's about getting more the lust of the eyes Ooh, i gotta go buy the biggest and the best right how many of you come on 
First of all, how many of you remember when you had to get up off the couch and go and turn the dial? Right? I remember when, I remember the black and white TV. My dad was an engineer for RCA. We were the first family on the block that had a color TV. Let me tell you, I know what that's like. And uh, I remember, and uh, uh, I remember when we went from a 19-inch screen to 29 inches. <laughs> Upgrade, baby. <laughs> Woo! Moving up in the world. Remember how thick those TVs were? <laughs> right? Right? We just keep getting bigger and bigger. More and more. And I'm not, I'm not ditzing it. I mean, I've got a, I've got a 36-inch screen in my house. <laughs> bigger than that. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to watch football on Sunday, right? I mean, you've got to be able to actually reach out and touch the guys almost. My, my, my point is more, more, more. More, more, more. Never satisfied. Never satisfied. Right? Fire's never satisfied. More, more, more. Put another log on the fire. More, more, more. Never satisfied. And that's the nature of the flesh. Never satisfied. Right? In the area of sexuality, is there confusion in the world today? Let me ask the question again with a little bit more Pentecostal emphasis. Is there confusion in sexuality today? Yes. Is there any confusion in this book about sexuality? No. no. God, God is not the author of confusion. Now, there's some people in here who were confused about it as well. And those are the examples for you and I to not go do those things. Right? But there's all kinds of problems. And, and there's struggle. Listen, in this room, there's struggle. And we, we're not a people of shame where we go, <gasps> who is it? No. It's not, we, don't, we don't talk about it to shame anyone. Remember, the scripture said, what's common to man, hello, it means everybody's dealing with some of it at some point in time in our lives, okay? So we need tools that God has provided for us to overcome in all three of these areas. Now, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, God has given us some tools. And I, and I want you to know that it's been this way since the very beginning. And I'm, I'm going I'm to, it's going to be real quick. I'm going to tell you about the tools and we're going to be done. But I want you to know that the devil, our adversary, who is roaming around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, he is trying to steal, kill, and destroy your life and everything in your life that you love. He wants to destroy. He wants to destroy. That's his mission. And he's got all those demons working. Sometimes we scratch our heads and say, God, why did you allow evil in the world? Why did you allow the devil? Why did you allow those fallen angels? We're going to discover all that stuff at a later date. But for now, he's given us tools to win. He says, hey, take heart. I have overcome this world, and I'll help you. Hallelujah is right. King Jesus, the word of God says... He always leads us in triumphal procession. That's the victor's walk. Oh, I'm walking around the track. I won because I got King Jesus on my team. I mean, I'm on his team. <laughs> Lest I try and get under Baal worship and say, I'm in control. He's on my team. No, I'm on his team. Are you with me? That actually was a faux pas that worked fairly good in the sermon. <laughs> okay, here's the tools. Are you ready for this? I'm so excited about this. One specific God-given tool for each area of our lives, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Conquering Baal in my life, conquering Molech in my life, conquering Asherah, conquering the control power issues I have in my life, controlling the prosperity things and all the love of money and all that kind of stuff, and sexuality. My life. Get it right. Okay? One tool for each. The lust of the flesh. Sin of idolatry associated with sensuality and sexual sin. A God-given tool, not the only God-given tool. This is just a God-given tool to help us escape. You ready? 
Fasting. Fasting. If we took a survey this morning, and the question was, do you fast for spiritual reasons, and how often do you fast for spiritual reasons? Take heed how you build. If you don't practice fasting and understand why you would fast, we, we can learn something, and we can learn that this morning. Here's why I fast. When I fast, I'm telling my body, no, you're not in charge. My body is saying, if you fasted, this is, humor with me for just one moment. Not two moments, one moment. <laughs> if you choose to fast, why is it on the day that you choose to fast, you wake up hungry? <laughs> Am I right? And why is it the day you choose to fast is the day you get the phone call, or the day, the day before you get the phone call, hey, bro, let me buy you breakfast tomorrow. You're like, okay, I'll fast the next day. Right? Temptation. Right? We have to tell our body no when it doesn't necessarily matter. Right? Now, follow me out on this. I coach football. At practice, when I'm coaching how to do something, if a, if a student that's playing a position does it wrong, it doesn't cost us in the win-loss column. But they learn to do it right on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So Friday night, they got it. Practice makes... Let me say it again. Practice makes... I'd like to change your thinking from the world's thinking of practice makes perfect to a kingdom principle. Practice makes permanent. Two different kingdoms. Two different processes. If I practice fasting, I practice winning. So later when I'm on my computer, are you with me? And an image comes up over here, and my eyes turn to the image, and it might be a girl in a bathing suit or lingerie or whatever. Do I linger? Do I click? Or do I say no? How you practice may determine what you do. Are you with me? Uh, now I'm talking to men. But women, you are not excused from any of that. Because the sexuality thing... It, it's common to man. Fasting. We should, I practice fasting weekly. Weekly. To destroy the flesh in me. Do I always have victory over things in my life and my thinking about finance things? No, I mean, I, I'm not exempt. I actually want more. I like my house. I like nice things in my house. I don't care what I drive, right? But I, I get it. None of us is exempt. How do I curb my appetites? How do I get out of this realm into this realm? Jesus said it this way. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. Nowhere to lay my head. It's not about the stuff. I told you I was going to go quick. Here we go. We'll talk more about fasting in another day. Lust of the eyes. The sin, idolatry again, associated with the love of money or an inordinate desire for more. Covetousness. Keeping up with the Joneses. Right? Well, they just got a really sweet looking boat, so now I'm going to go get a little bit bigger boat. <laughs> I went from 27 foot to 33 foot because John got a 28 footer and I just needed something a little bit bigger than his. I don't know what it is, but I mean, it's not about boats and it's not about cars and it's not about houses, but it is about a heart condition. It's not about your retirement fund. Can I tell you in the kingdom of God, your retirement isn't in this world? Your retirement's in heaven. I mean, you got to make plans. 
But we're never going to stop being ambassadors until Jesus either takes us home and we're pushing daisies with our body underground, <laughs> or Jesus comes and takes us home. We're almost done. You can hear the babies running upstairs. We're almost there. We're almost there. I'm late. I'm late. I'm late. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Lust of the eyes, a God-given tool to help us, to help us escape tithing. Tithing. I got an amen from a pastor. <laughs> hey, listen, in the church, pastors are always beat up for talking about money. Let, let me say this. I'm never shy to talk about money that doesn't belong to you. If you're in the kingdom, the tithe belongs to the Lord. Malachi chapter 3, shall a man rob God? You say, how am I robbing God? He says, in our tithes and offerings. Right? If, you're, if you're a follower of Christ, the first 10% belongs to the Lord. You say, well, that's an Old Testament practice. Yes, it was. And it's also a New Testament practice. And in fact, it was before the law, it was during the law, and it's after the law. It's the starting point. I'm not, I'm not here to say, send us your checks. That's your assignment, to obey the Word of God. Just be obedient to what the Word of God says. But here's the beauty of it. If you tithe, this is what Jesus said about tithing. Listen, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, church kind of, you know, I get kind of frustrated about church and yada, 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 and there's all kinds of complaints about church, right? Anybody else got some complaints about church? <laughs> that pastor is long-winded, woo! And if you sit in the front row, you're getting showers too, man. Listen, that's why I'm keeping the distance, sister. Now listen, listen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> where'd that go, right? Um, uh, <laughs> here's the deal. Again, got, to get out of this realm right, and to get up in this realm, do you think there's going to be commerce in heaven? Buying and selling? I don't think so. I don't think so. So the agents of commerce, which is money, is this world. Paul said, set your heart, your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. If we invest into the kingdom, guess where our heart and thinking will follow? About the kingdom, right? Here, here a little, here's a little story. I uh, never checked the stock market. Never in fact, when I would open up the newspaper, for those of you who remember those days, I would get in the business section to the NASDAQ and the Dow, and I would just like, whoosh, whoosh, where's the crossword puzzle? Ah. And I, I mean, I'd go through it. I didn't care. Until what? I made an investment. Listen, the moment I made an investment, guess what I checked? Every single day mostly crying as I watched it go, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. I don't know what's going on in the church. I'll bet you if you were more invested in the church, you'd know what was going on in the church. Because that's where your heart's going to be. It's the same principle, and it works. I'm going long, and I know it. The roast will be dry because of Pastor Dave. Still love me, I hope. Final one, pride of life. <laughs> pride of life, which is the power issue, the sin of idolatry associated with power and control. And every one of us in this room struggles with control. We want to be in charge. We just want to be in charge. Want hold on to the reins. I'm riding this carriage and I'm in charge. The God-given control, or excuse me, the God-given tool to help us give up control, I believe is Confession. Confession. And you say, well, why is that? Because if I'm confessing to someone, it means that I'm under authority. 
and I have to own that. That means I have to be in submission, and I'm in submission to God. And he said, confess your sins one to another that you may be forgiven, healed, and cleansed. Right? Submission through confession is saying to a brother, I am responsible to the Lord. I'm responsible, and I come under his authority. And by making confession, I am humbling myself. The Bible says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will raise you up. You won't have to do it yourself. He'll do it. You just stay humble. You just stay humble. Listen, listen, and listen carefully. If you are not making it a practice of having a spiritual accountability person, mentor in your life, where you are able to make confession freely about everything, the control issues, Prosperity issues. I've been thinking about it a lot, man. I want to add a room onto my house. I've been thinking a lot about, man, I want a better job to pay me more money so I can go do this and go do this and go do this and go do this. And I, it's out of control. I'm just, I'm thinking wrong. I should be thinking about the kingdom of God. I want to actually add another air conditioning system to the nursery. Right? I got to raise so that I can go buy more stuff. And I can move from Lay's potato chips to Tim's. <laughs> Jalapenos. <laughs> no. Maybe God positioned you to make more money so you could do more for the kingdom of God. Look at the world. There's 8 billion people. We talk about the second coming of Christ, and half of the world hasn't heard of his first. There's a work to be done. And it's our responsibility. I keep looking at this. You know why? Neither do I. <laughs> We're almost done. If you're visiting this morning, I'm sorry. I'm normally like this. <laughs> Confession is good for the soul. <laughs> okay. We're almost done. In fact, I'll prove it to you. Stand with me this morning. <laughs> Just kidding. No, I'm too. <laughs> Stand with me. Listen. Remember in Acts chapter 26 that they should have, uh, they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting of repentance. Sanctification, becoming more like Christ. So our home improvement, we have some tools, and God has given us instructions how to use those tools. Fasting, tithing, and confessing. I would invite every one of us in the room today to practice those. Practice those. Because practice makes permanent. Permanent. And <laughs> it's probably both. <laughs> but permanent, right? Lust of the flesh, overcoming sexual sensual temptations in our life we need to begin fasting bring our flesh into subjection you're not in charge i'm not going to fulfill the urges i'm going to deny my flesh and do what's right fathers and husbands you are to be a one woman man one woman man both in body heart and mind if you're thinking about other things, let me, let, me, let me be crystal clear. If you're thinking about other women, repent, confess, find someone that you can confess to that is a person who will keep confidence and not say to his wife, oh yeah, John, he was telling me about how he's like, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. And she's like, oh, that's my best friend. Honey, did you know? Blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden the wife's like, you know, we find out on Channel 6 News. <laughs> That there was a death and a murder. <laughs> no, you got to find confidence, right? But there will be time where that kind of confession needs to be made potentially. Right? We want to do that with wisdom. Okay. Lust of the eyes, overcoming the love of money and the temptations associated with money. Hey, give, give God what belongs to God. And go above and beyond. That's like a starting point. Engage. Where your treasures and your heart will be. Pride of life, overcoming the control issues. Start confessing and start submitting 
Remember, he's, Paul said, he said, King Agrippa, I did not disobey the heavenly call. I obeyed. Let's obey the word of God. Let's make confession. Can I get an amen? That's important. Okay. So, let me conclude with this thought. It's my sixth conclusion of today's sermon. All of what we're talking about today, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life, it is of this world. None of those things will be happening in heaven. We, we, we are in the Christian faith. This, this, this is not Islam. You, you don't do a heroic event and think you're going to end up with 70 virgins in a place called heaven. Jesus was asked a question by the Pharisees. You know, this woman, she was married, and then the husband died, and they had no kids, and so the Leverite marriage, and the older brother, the older brother, the older brother, and all seven boys died. Who's she going to be married to in the kingdom? He says, it, you ask a mess. He says, there's no marriage in heaven. You'll be like the angels. Sex, for the purposes of procreation, and thanks be to God, enjoyment. Every married man and woman said amen. <laughs> and the soon-to-be married one. I got a son who's getting married in two weeks. <laughs> and a daughter-in-law who's getting married in two weeks. Yay, yay. And all that stuff, yay, it's good. It's sin over here, but man, marriage, whoop, whoop. That's just this world. That's not in heaven. Set your mind on things above. Right? Set your treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. Be rich toward God. Right? All those things. Does that make sense? I'm beating a dead horse now. Amen? Amen. Have we been to church? Amen. We could open the altars and everyone would repent. Right? Let's do the acts now of repentance that are befitting of repentance. And let's go do that and be Christ's followers. Amen. Amen. And let's watch the kingdom of God grow. Let's pray. Worship team, you don't have to come back. That's like, yeah, that was about 20 minutes ago, Dave. <laughs> let's go home and have some family time with some pops and dads and padres and that kind of a thing. Father, we love you and we thank you. I thank you, God, for just the peace. I thank you for the air conditioning today because everybody would have left about 30 minutes ago without it. But, God, you are good. You are... You're just a good, good God, and we just, we want to, we want to obey. Not because, God, we know you're up there keeping track and you're, like, disappointed because it's performance-based. No, it's because, God, you want to maximally bless us. Lord, as we yield to you and as we repent of sin in our lives, as we stop worshiping these foreign gods and foreign idols, and we direct our affection and attention toward you, Lord, help us to position ourselves to just simply receive the maximum blessing and live in the freedom that, God, you have provided for us. We thank you, and we ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Everyone said a strong amen. As a reminder, I have tools for every father, and it's just a cheesy tool. It's a pencil. Every project you have needs a pencil. It's a universal tool, and it's a pencil. Listen, it's a pencil that's attached to a string, Woo! so you can never lose it. You just put it in your pocket, and it's right there. Okay, guys, we love you. Have a great, great day and week in Jesus. God bless.